Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Good Friday morning, everybody. Asia Pacific shares are trending higher this morning following a strong overnight rally on Wall Street. Sydney and Seoul both trading up nearly 1%. Markets in Japan closed today for a public holiday, Showa Day, that honors the birth of Emperor Showa. Joining me now to break down all the market action is Ryan Huang. Happy Friday, Ryan. Happy Friday and happy eve of a super long weekend. Yes. Have you got plans? I've got plans with my kids. So every Mm. time it's a long break, you have to figure out what do you do with your kid because it means four days straight of figuring out programs, keeping them occupied, entertained. So a lot of planning goes into a long weekend. My goodness. So are you visiting any place with the kids? So the trick to getting around this is to visit other kids so they can play together. <laughs> so that's the plan. Play date time. All right, we've got a very busy morning of corporate earnings today. Starting with the trio of Singapore's locally listed banks, it is pretty unusual for all three to release their financial results on the same day. But that is the case today. And I'm wondering if 10 is a lucky or perhaps <laughs> unlucky number because DBS, UOB and OCBC are all reporting 10% drops in first quarter profits. DBS netted $1.8 billion in the first three months of the year, down from more than $2 billion in the same period a year ago. OCBC made $1.3 billion, while UOB fell short of that billion-dollar mark, clearing just $900 million. So Ryan, what accounts for the drop in bank earnings? Is there a common thread aside from that 10% figure, or does each bank have their own particular reasons for the contraction? Yeah, talk about coincidences, right? When was the last time all three banks announced in the same morning? So it's almost like they're trying to rush for a long weekend. <laughs> so here you have um, actually a common thread coming through. Uh, one of them is the high base from the year before. Another common thread that is playing out is the market volatility, uh, which saw just trading income for wealth management fees also dropping. So that was a common drag on all three banks. Um, also, particularly for OCBC, the insurance business, that was also a bit of a drag. And of course, it might be worth watching out what happens for OCBC uh, with um, the China lockdown playing out because of their exposure there. Um, by and large, um, it is um, something to uh, look at the drop in wealth management fees, treasury market activities. Uh, But there are some bright spots. Um, So what we are looking at is most of them looking quite optimistic. I'm talking about business momentum remaining healthy, loans are going up, uh, net interest margins are also going up. And just to call out one of them, you've got um, DBS looking at net interest margins higher. So that is up for the first time in three years from 1.43% to 1.46%. A lot to get through. Analysts have been saying that the tightening credit environment should be good for bank earnings. And yet, we see all three having a rough quarter. So, are you surprised at all by the bank's results? I think, uh, by and large, we saw this coming to some extent. We saw the US banks giving a bit of a curtain raiser of sorts. Very similar reasons. Trading income was down. Investors stayed away. And also worth noting with the border restrictions opening, people, um, or rather restrictions easing up, people just going back to life a bit more and trading less. So that's one small factor. Um, in terms of what I was looking out for as well is the loan provisions. And we saw from the US earnings side, some of the banks talking about tougher times ahead, bracing for maybe even tougher times that they need to set aside money for. We saw JP Morgan among those banks putting aside 
or raising loan loss provisions. Uh, interestingly, that did not play out for Singapore banks. Uh, they seem to be um, of a more stable view. So that, I think, uh, well... If you come there as a surprise, uh, I was actually ha- uh, expecting them to be more cautious with the ongoing developments in Ukraine and, of course, in China and all the uncertainties. But it looks like they are quite optimistic about the border restrictions easing up and painting a rather optimistic outlook. All right. Moving forward, what does the rest of the year look like for the banks? Okay, we do have a couple of tailwinds or potential market catalysts for banks. And of course, right at the top of the list is the Fed, the FOMC rate hikes that we are looking at next month. Um, we could be seeing 50 basis points or even higher and even more in subsequent meetings. And when that happens, we could be seeing investors starting to price in net interest margins going up even more strongly. So that would be one to watch. Uh, Also, border restrictions um, easing up means business activities will go up, loans may go up. So that's actually one of the reasons um, being flagged by UOB CEO Wee Chong talking about how UOB is positioned for capturing those opportunities arising between ASEAN and China. Um, the current disruption to supply chains will shore up the importance of the role of ASEAN. So that's where it's trying to capture a bigger slice of the pie. Uh, if you look at where OCBC is looking, it is also eyeing the reopening of economies and borders and that will drive a further rise in economic activities. At the same time, it's closely monitoring the evolving pandemic situation in Greater China. And DBS CEO Pirish Gupta is flagging how momentum is strong and broad-based. In fact, earnings were second only to the exceptional quarter it had a year ago. Um, In terms of um, geopolitical developments, uh, it has created headwinds and volatility, but it has stress-tested its portfolio and it remains resilient. Next up, I want to check in on investor reaction to the biggest local deal of the year, the merger of the offshore marine giants Keppel O&M and Semcorp Marine. The combined entity will be a global offshore powerhouse worth some $8.7 billion. Well, investors had their first chance to react to the deal yesterday and they sold off Semcorp Marine shares in a big way. They dropped 17%. Why is that? Yeah, we had some profit-taking happening here with Sam Marine. So as you pointed out, it fell as much as 19.1%. On the flip side, we had Capo rising 3.8%. And this is um, something to watch as we see the merger go underway. It's pretty much a done deal by now. Its terms are on the table, so it's just pending regulatory approval. So this will see Capo get a bigger chunk of the 56% in the yet-to-be-named combined entity. And worth watching to see actually if San Marine will rebound because of the wider environment where we have oil prices going up. So maybe a bit of a knee-jerk response short-term, but long-term, it does have those fundamentals playing out. And of course, it'll be exciting to see what it can do with a bigger size and economies of scale and mm-hmm. synergies. Investor reaction to what the deal means for Keppel seemed to be more positive. Keppel shares rose 3% yesterday. Tell us, what does this deal mean for Keppel's future? And do you think there's still more potential upside for Keppel shares? It could be because it's a case of timing, almost good timing for Capo. It's offloading this and pivoting or at least falling in place with its Vision 2030, which it unveiled two years ago. So that's the 10-year roadmap, which it is trying to get into a business model of recurring and consistent income that's predictable. Mm-hmm. So that 
does away with the lumpy and, in a way, cyclical oil rig building sector. So that's something that will position it and maybe attract even more investors looking for that sort of return. So that's a big step in that direction that they have now finally taken. All right, let's segue to the U.S. now, where Amazon, Apple and Twitter are among the companies opening their books today. This might well be the last time we report on Twitter's quarterly earnings, depending on if and when Elon Musk's purchase of the social media platform goes through. There was a lot of talk that Musk and Twitter's board moved so quickly to close the deal because they wanted to do so before today's earnings became public. So what do we know? How is Twitter doing? All right, Twitter. I would say it's a mixed bag. And I'll start with the bright spots first. So earnings per share came in at $0.04. Cents. So that's higher than the $0.03 cents expected. Um, you had revenue, though, on the flip side, down $1.2 billion to $1.2 billion versus $1.23 billion, according to the consensus forecast. So a bit of a drag from a drop in advertising revenue, which was seen across the industry with the Ukraine war just dragging down, especially the European part of the business. So that's something to chew on, but it looks like uh, we are seeing uh, a positive reaction mostly. Shares of Twitter were up in um, trading yesterday. And I think one of the bright spots also to worth noting is the MDAUs or the Monetizable Daily Active Users. So this came through at 229 million versus 226.9 million. So higher than expected. Mm -hmm. And it is a sign that, hey, maybe people are going back to Twitter in a stronger than expected fashion. So that is setting up for more growth in future. So Twitter is recording a big one-time gain from the sale of its mobile ad business, Mopub. Its ad revenues up 16% as well, and the number of daily users jumped by 14 million people. That's more than analysts were expecting. All of this would seem to indicate Musk is getting a good deal, isn't he? It looks that way. So we've got some bright spots for Twitter. We just ran through some of them and it does look quite promising when you have all those proposals by him to rejig the business model, monetize all the various underperforming assets um, and all the features that might attract people back into the platform. And this is against a very competitive landscape now, TikTok. Facebook itself is also trying to change. And all the other social media platforms trying to get a slice of the pie. So even though it's quite competitive, I think this could be what it needs to shake things up. All right. As one of the terms of the deal, Musk is not supposed to disparage Twitter, at least not until the acquisition is finalized. He's forbidden from saying negative things about the company or its employees. So, Ryan, is Musk respecting the clause of this agreement? Well, Elon Musk is just being... Elon Musk. So he is <laughs> tweeting like he normally does with disregard to rules. Um, as you pointed out, he was not supposed to, but he has done so anyway. And I'm looking at one of the tweets. He's just responded to Twitter's chief legal officer, Vijay Gede. So this was around a um, the Joe Rogan podcast where it was around the topic of censorship of the Hunter Biden laptop story. Um, so this is something that he responded to um, saying the suspending of the Twitter account of a major news organization for publishing a truthful story was obviously incredibly inappropriate. So he was criticizing Twitter in his latest tweet. So not a good look if you're trying to buy the company and convince the bot to back your offer. 
Still at it. One more note about Twitter before we're going to move on, I promise you. An opening event at Twitter's Singapore headquarters, which should have taken place yesterday, was scrapped at the last minute. Minister for Communications and Information Josephine Teo was slated to deliver the opening remarks. Ryan Musk wants Twitter to stand for free speech. Some people think it odd that this event was scrapped just days after his acquisition was announced. Any thoughts there? Yeah, so this was at his um, office space in Capital Green. So it was supposed to talk about partnerships with the government, focus on online safety, digital literacy and tech talent. But typically when you have such major news in the background, it will just overshadow everything else. So in a way, it was coming. People would have expected this to happen because you would not want your news event to be overshadowed by something else that other, one, other people will be asking about, talking about. So it's a case of timing and I suspect it will be back online again once things settle down. Hopefully, Twitter's made public its intention to invest further in Singapore's engineering core. I'm sure there are lots of questions there as well. Let's turn to how Apple and Amazon are doing. One of these tech giants had a pretty good first quarter. The other did not, which is which. I'll give you a hint. You're probably holding a device from the top performer in your hand. Yep, Apple is delivering strong quarterly results. Amazon reporting a rare loss. Right, let's take Apple first. So what's powering its profits? All right, Apple, we are seeing the iPhone maker another solid quarter. 5% up for that quarter. And it just shows how popular the iPhone or rather the iPhone 13 has been selling. So this is a reflection of how this particular market segment is resilient, doing well. People are willing to spend for the big ticket item, the high-end smartphone, and to some extent, computers as well. So that is, in a way, bucking the trend when it comes to what's happening in the wider macro environment where people are holding on to their purse strings a bit tighter, worried about the future. People are still spending on smartphones, the iPhone in particular. And on top of that, you have Apple authorizing another huge share buyback program, $90 billion. So this could also support the share price in the near term. Apple shares jumped 4.5% overnight, but they're down 2% in after-hours action amid concerns that Apple's profits for the rest of the year may not be as solid as those in the first quarter. All right, what about Amazon, Ryan? Is it reporting its first quarterly loss? It is since 2015, in fact. Uh, Tell us about the reasons behind that. Yeah, I'm looking at two big reasons. One is that it's online business, the sales online, is slowing down. So maybe not a surprise to those um, watching this space because people going back out into life and not staying at home, working from home, shopping from home as much. That has been a dent for its US sales in particular. So that's a big drag. Uh, Also, advertising revenue is down. And we've seen that play out in many other social media platforms like Twitter, Google, um, Amazon's advertising revenue. Uh, was down to $7.88 billion, falling short of the $8.17 billion. That is, though, seeing a bright spot. It's growing faster than its competition, but it is slowing down from before. Um, looking at the other big one was its write-down of its loss from its investment in EV maker Rivian. So $7.6 billion in terms of losses. So all in, that results in a total net loss of $3.8 billion um, for Amazon. 
Amazon shares down 9% in extended hours trade. Overall, stocks rallied in the U.S. overnight. The Nasdaq jumped 3% while the S&P 500 climbed 2.5%. Facebook's parent company, Meta, was one of the biggest gainers, jumping 17% on the back of strong earnings. Next, let's turn to the U.S. economy, which shrank in the first quarter of the year. After adjusting for inflation, GDP dropped 0.4%. So, Ryan, looking at this, is the U.S. economy in danger of entering a recession? There's been a lot of talks there. What do you think? Yeah, this is something of a question mark here because we were expecting a small gain. Uh, that did not come through and it just sends a few jitters across markets when you look at the headlines, traders reacting to uh, what's in the news. Uh, against this backdrop though, you have to take things into context, all the moving parts. And if you look at the US economy, by and large, you have some pockets of strength. And that is being seen in the tight labour market. Uh, wages are slowly creeping back up um, and you have many other reasons. Um, and if you look at what constitutes a recession, um, typically it means two straight quarters of negative GDP. So here you have one quarter, um, but officially you have to wait for the um, National Bureau of Economic Research to declare one in order for it to be an official recession at least. Uh, and during a recession, you can expect people to lose their jobs in a big fashion. But in this case, that is unlikely to happen now with the tight labour market. Um, and if you look at the factors weighing on the first quarter, we are looking at things like the COVID-19 restrictions uh, picking up. That was something that hampered in, um, activity in the first quarter. Uh, prices also increased sharply um, during that quarter. So that could be a bit of a short-term reaction as well. Mm -hmm. uh, on the bright spot, or rather one more thing you'll note is there was a pullback in defence spending down 8.5%. So that's a big drag as well, knocking off one-third of a percentage point from the final GDP reading. Now, on to the bright spot. Consumer spending, which accounts for about two-thirds of the economy, held up quite well for the quarter. So it rose 2.7%. So that is, I think, a reflection of how you have the fundamentals, at least some of them in the US economy, still holding quite strong. Many economists believe that the negative growth numbers are actually masking a strong economic recovery in the US, a drop in GDP attributable in large part to rising imports and a growing trade deficit. Those numbers are subtracted from GDP when economists do the math to calculate a country's gross domestic product. Let's turn to the local share markets now after that primer. We are 23 minutes into the trading day. Singapore joined the regional rally yesterday, although it did not close up quite as much as other markets. The Straits Times Index rose a bit less than half a percent to close at 33.35. How's the SDI trading this morning, Ryan? Is it adding to those gains? Yeah, so after snapping a three-day losing streak, we are up 0. 8% now in the early action at 3,360. And looking at the picture on the STI, right at the bottom, you have Jody Matheson and followed closely behind UOB, both of them down by 2%. So I think it's a reflection of investors not liking UOB's first quarter results, which was relatively weak. So if you look at it, it was down 11% quarter-on-quarter versus the other two banks, which are up more than 30% quarter-on-quarter. And looking at where we are for those two other banks, OCBC and UOB, or OCBC and DBS, are both at the top of the table. DBS up by 3.1% at $34.03. OCBC up by 2.9% at 12.31. And they are followed close behind by Capital Corp. 
up 1.3% at 6.95. And finally, before I let you go, we do have a long weekend coming up and a lot of you may want to go out, particularly now that bars can serve drinks again past 10.30pm. Well, the best bars in Asia list is just out. A watering hole in Hong Kong called Koa takes the top spot, but given Hong Kong's COVID-19 restrictions, I don't think anybody is going to be travelling there soon this for a drink this long weekend. So Ryan, which are the top bars right here in Singapore? Yeah, this is something I've been to before. Jigger and Pony is I do like it too. Right at the top. So this is something that is um, something I will be putting into my weekend plans and well deserved after all those play dates. Very timely list for us to soak in or digest. Jigger and Pony number two, Mo Bar at number eight, Manhattan. One of my favorite bars in Singapore. You should also try the clam chowder while you're there. Uh, that's at number nine. Sounds like you've been to all ten of them. <laughs> Well, I, the ones in Singapore, the three that made the list of 10 I have, absolutely. Well, have a good long weekend, Ryan. You too, Michelle. Thanks for being with us here on Market View. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.